What's up, Padre fans? Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. This is episode number 133, and Dominic and I are pretty happy. Wouldn't you say, Mr. Uh, Mr. Stern, I think uh, AJ Preller's done a number again on us in this offseason has really made, uh, turned the frowns upside down, if you will. Uh, the Padres are are collecting talent at a just crazy, crazy pace. What's up, Dominic? How are you doing? First off, let's, let's just uh, let's let's discuss a little bit about uh, how you're doing. You know, I'm doing fine back here, at Arizona State. Got to be uh, extra careful with COVID situations going on out here. Haven't been doing much as of late, but it's good to be back in Arizona, working, trying to perfect my craft, becoming a better journalist again. It was good to be back home in San Diego over break for my two month break, but yeah. now I'm back. I had my one off day for the entire semester on Monday for Martin Luther King Day. I have no spring break, so it's a grind from here on out until May. That's that's crazy that I'm giving you guys spring break, but I mean, I guess everything's had to change with the situation the way it is in the world. Um, So being back in San Diego, you had to have gotten a sense of a little bit of excitement from the fan base and from the, the San Diegans about just the fact that this team is just keeps building. Give me a little bit about that. I know I know your parents are are big Padre fans, so give me a little bit about that. Great. I'm bigger Padre fans than they are, first off. Let's, <laughs> let's start there. But yeah, no, being back in San Diego, being with a bunch of my friends who I hadn't seen at all during the season, before the season, it was funny. You know, they actually wanted to talk to me about Padres baseball. And that's something that, you know, th- th- we would have those conversations, obviously. Yep. But a lot of my friends who, you know, were Padre fans, but definitely not, you know, as big as me or were fans of other teams and of course, you know, supported the Padres because they do live in San Diego and no one hates the Padres except for maybe the, the insane Dodgers fans on Twitter that just, uh, they, we, we live in their heads because we suck and now we're good, but it was cool. And then I also went down to, uh, to downtown San Diego, like I mentioned on Christmas Eve, doing my, my Christmas shopping for my mom and my dad and being down there, I'd been in that store a couple of times, not on game days, very rarely would there be many people in there. There were a lot of people in there, and uh, a lot of them were taking advantage of the uh, the jersey sale, like I was. And it, it was cool, you know. People want to rep the Padres now. It's definitely a different feeling than what I've been used to. So certainly a cool thing. Yeah, no, people definitely do want to rep the Padres, and you know the uniform change. Everything just happened at the correct time. It's just it's amazing to see the way Preller and the regime, the the ownership, have built this franchise and done so in uh, an appropriate way. It's just the team is about to really come into a a run of quality baseball. You you have to feel it. I mean, with the additions they've made this winter, uh, improving the pitching staff, it's just a matter of time before this team is able to take their game into the next level. I think winning one playoff series is not going to be the goal for this team in the future. It's going to be a world title. And and that's exciting when you're a Padre fan, I mean, because that's just never really happened before. No, and I actually saw a lot of people floating around stuff on Twitter this morning talking about, you know, for the Padres, is it World Series or bust? Is it a disappointment if the Padres don't win a World Series? And I think it's World Series or bust, but like, 
Yep. I mean, if the Padres make it to a World Series or they like lose in Game Seven of the NLCS, I'm not going to be looking back on it in ten years saying, "Oh, what a failure this team was." Like, no, you got to remember where you came from. We, at the end of the day, we are Padres fans. We've been through, uh, we've been through the ringer. But now this team's good. Celebrate it. Live in the moment. Uh, you got to remember, we're not on the field, so you know, as disappointed as we would be to not win a championship, be even dis- more disappointing for the players and the staff of the Padres. So I think that's important for people to remember exciting times are coming. Like you mentioned, hopefully we do get that championship, but I wouldn't look back and say, Oh, what a failure we were. Yeah. You know, it's not in it. I mean, it is about winning the championship. Let's, let's not say that, but the fact that they're going to be able to compete and, and compete willingly and, 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 righteously and, and be able to perform and, and have other teams uh, be jealous of the Padres is something that Padre fans just aren't used to. And this team is competitive. They're built well. And the, the, the craziest thing is they still have bullets to sit, to spend, to shoot off the, if they want to make a trade, if they want to upgrade this team, they can, there's plenty of prospects to deal. There's plenty of young major league talent to deal. It's amazing. I mean, this team can easily attain almost any major league player in in or in the league. And they have the resources to do that. I mean, and it's it's all about yeah. whether or not they want to spend the extra money or not. I mean, they're pretty much I'd say they're at 80-90% of what they want to spend for the year, which, you know, but Carlos creative. He's found a way to get around things. It's it's easily it can easily happen. So so you heard it here, Mike Trout to the San Diego Padres. It's right here. Yeah, I was going to say that you uh, you, threw, you threw around a joke in one of our group chats. Uh, Myers and Gore for Trout. Obviously, that's nowhere near enough yeah. to get Mike Trout. I'm sure Mackenzie Gore would have to be a part of that deal. And I, you know, as much as I love Mackenzie Gore, I would love to have Mike Trout on San Diego Padres. Yeah. And uh, but I mean, just spitballing, you know, right? You throwing Gore. Abrams, a couple other pro. I mean, suddenly the angels are here are listening and it's, it's, it's hard to deal with a player like that, but if you're getting on a ridiculous return, then why not? And it's for the, as for the, as far as the Padres are concerned, you're dealing players that necessarily don't have room on your roster for, I mean, an absolute upgrade. So, I mean, you know, the angels don't want to deal Mike Trout. I mean, this is just, no, all. they're not, they're not going to, they, <laughs> just all. His this contract is <laughs> way too expensive to trade. And to me, going back to your previous point about like having more bullets to fire, I said this on Devil's Talking Padres, my other Padres podcast with Bobby Murphy. Mm-hmm. I'm not too concerned about losing the depth of the farm system because we've seen the strength of what I think Preller's done in his tenure as a GM of the Padres has been drafting in international signings. So I'm fairly confident that he's going to be able to continue to do that and continue to replenish it. Now, is it ever going to be at the status it once was under Preller? Absolutely not. And I, no. I pray that it doesn't get back there because that would mean that we're bad I mean, again. Because but that, it, that's more along the lines of the limitations that MLB set now. They, I mean, they can't go three times their their allowed budget like they did in 2015 and 16 when they signed Morahone and, and uh, Almanzar and Patino and all these guys that they threw a right. bunch of money. They just can't do that anymore. But... I mean, they're bringing guys from the Bahamas. They're bringing guys from from countries that typically you don't find players, and that's Chris Kemp. That's the 
international scouting director going out and doing his job and doing it well. And would they sign 11 players, 12 players now, I think, that they signed within the last week? I mean, the cupboards are being restocked. They're, they're 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, but they could be wild. They couldn't be the next Tatis. They could be the next big thing. You just never know at that age. And And the Padres are not giving up the international market. They are – like I said, replenishing the cupboards. There's going to be plenty of talent out there. And it's just, it's just a great time to be a Padre fan. It really is. We've been saying this, or I've been saying this for years, uh, even when they sucked and finished last place that you could just see the sense. You could sense what Preller was doing. You could sense the fact that he was building uh, a farm system, a ridiculous farm system. I mean, they traded so many talented players within the past six months to a year and and the the team is 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 only in a better place. I mean, it's just it's it's a fantastic time to be a Padre fan. I mean, we keep saying it, but enjoy it, enjoy it, San Diegans, and and those that are out of the of the out of the city that uh, root for this team. What do you say we bring in our guest for this episode, talking about Joe Musgrove for the Potters acquired? Yes, we didn't even bring up the fact that uh, the San Diego Padres have a San Diegan on their roster, which is which is awesome. After losing the two Gregs, it's fantastic. But we will be right back. Uh, we have a special guest, Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com, will be joining us shortly. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back, Padre fans. Uh, we are pleased that Mr. Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline is here to discuss some Padre related topics. What's going on, Jonathan? How are you doing this afternoon? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? We are well. We are two Padre fans that are pleased as punch, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, I uh, can understand it's, why. It's a good time to be a Padre. You're, you're, you're in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't want to call you a Pirates fan, but you have a rooting interest in the team. You've talked to Joe Musgrove a lot. L- let's talk about the acquisition of Mr. Musgrove, uh, a local guy, San Diegan. A lot of us are well aware of his talents, but give us... What kind of guy is Joe Musgrove? I know you and I've talked. He's like, so you know there's the 20 to 80 scouting scale? Yeah. In terms of a guy, he's like 140. I mean, he's really, he is really one of the best human beings I have ever come across in in baseball. And it started my sort of, uh, I don't know, friendship with him, relationship with him, whatever you want to call it, started when he was a prospect with the Astros and he was in the futures game in San Diego. And we have a habit of every year bringing some guys in a couple of days before the futures game when we like run around town and do stuff. And we're like, well, we got to have Musgrove come and kind of be the tour guide since he's, um, you know, since he's from San Diego. And he uh-huh. like, not only was he like, yeah, I want to come, but he like, he took on you know, the extra on camera stuff. He, he did it all. Wow. And since that time, I'm like, I can't, I can't wait till he gets to the big leagues and they got there and then he gets traded here to Pittsburgh. And I was in, yeah. I was just in heaven and, you know, performance wise, it was up and down. Right. And, and there were times when he was here that he looked like one of the best starting pitchers in the national league. And then there were times where he couldn't make it you know, three times through a lineup and like, should he be in the bullpen? The stuff is really good. But as a person, oh man. And the media is going to love him. He's, you know, very accessible with, and, and it's not like accessible, but he never says anything. He's an interesting guy. Get him talking about coffee. You want to really get him going, get him talking about coffee. Um, But yeah, just um, as good of a pitcher he is, you're getting a better human being and citizen. 
Awesome. You know, you briefly mentioned his uh, his pitching, and it seemed like in 2020 that he developed. I, I read or I saw some interviews where he he shortened he short he shortened up his motion, if you will, and his arm angle. What did you see from him uh, specifically about that? You know, it's hard. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to any pirates games in 2020. So it's yeah. just what I saw on TV. He's always tinkering. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, even people get frustrated with him that they don't recognize how hard he worked. You know, it's not like he just was showing up. He's like, look, I have good stuff. I can get guys out. Leave me alone. He was constantly trying to find a way to repeat his delivery consistently enough where he could command all of his, his stuff. You know, he's one of those guys that almost gets hurt because his stuff is, I don't want to say too lively. Cause that's like, I, I, I hate when people say that that's ridiculous, but yeah. it makes it a little more challenging to be able to land in the strike zone consistently enough where people, you know, big league hitters aren't going to lay off and then wait for the mistakes. And I think that's what happened more, uh, you know, more often than not when he when he ran into trouble. And listen, overall he was he was good. He was better than a replacement pitcher by a good amount. But he would tease with that like looked like a top of the rotation kind of guy and just wasn't that guy every fifth day all the time. Yeah. And thank you for coming on, Mr. Mayo. And we've been sold on Musgrove being a pitcher who has a really high ceiling and he's almost yet to you know fully reach that potential. What do you think that full potential and ceiling is for Musgrove? Because it seems like if he's ever going to reach it, it's going to be in these next two years with the Padres. He just called me Mr. Mayo. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, uh, if I'm your guest, you can call me Jonathan. Um, okay. But thank you. I appreciate the not earned respect. Yeah. So, I mean, what is he? He's still, what, 27, right? Is he? Is this his year 27 or he's going to turn 28? Uh, we've all seen pitchers who don't quite figure it out until a little bit later on. It's development for pitching is weird. It's not linear for everyone. And I do think that he could still get there, you know, in a, in a Charlie Morton kind of way. And he, I think of him because he was another guy who here in Pittsburgh showed glimpses was good. Not great on a, on a, you know, team that wasn't always good. And then went elsewhere and, and really figured it out. So I think he's going to, Really like pitching in San Diego. Uh, there's going to be some comfort with him being home for sure, and it's all going to depend on how he clicks with with you know the, the pitching coach and other pitchers on the staff, which I think sometimes gets under recognized when a guy figures something out in terms of gripping a breaking ball, something delivery wise. If there's a guy on the staff who's similar or just sees something, you never know when a different set of eyes seeing something or a pitching different pitching coach working with a guy will unlock that, that last piece of consistency. And that's all it is with him is consistency, right? The stuff is there. The competitiveness is more than there. I mean, he's, he would, you know, run through a brick wall if it would help win a game. So I think it's just going to be, a, a, you know, something that's going, it's going to be something small. And, and, you know, and when I say like from another, another pitcher, it's interesting. Um, this will be a shameless plug for a book that doesn't have a title yet, but I'm working on a book project and, uh, it, it's about sort of, uh, slightly more unheralded draft guys who've gone on to stardom. And one of the chapters is going to be on Shane Bieber. And when Bieber was coming out of college, this is a tangent, but it's relevant. He was really light on his breaking ball. Um, you know, he's thrown, he throws harder now than he did. That sometimes happens, but the breaking ball, you're never sure. He learned the spike curveball 
playing catch with a college teammate who's now in the Indian system, Trevor Betancourt. If he doesn't play catch with Trevor Betancourt, maybe he doesn't develop or find that grip on that curveball. You, you, you see him now with two distinct breaking balls, and you're like, that guy's breaking ball was light? Are you kidding me? But he learned it from that. So you don't know what might happen when Joe Musgrove goes into this situation where he's not yeah. considered the one or two. Um, there's you know a little less pressure, perhaps, and he can learn from other arms, not, you know, better or worse. It doesn't matter. It's just other arms and other people. And they may, in, you know, and that may help him uh, unlock that, that last little piece that's going to make him a, a, an all-star caliber pitcher. Cause I believe that he has all star caliber stuff. Yeah. And one thing I noticed from his, his, uh, his stat cast page was that his ground ball rate was higher in 2020 than it was in previous years. And I also saw that he uses his sinker, right around 10% of the time, which of course, as we know, and tends to induce ground balls. Do you see that as a thing that he's going to continue to do with the Padres in 2021 and 2022, or is that just something that he worked on last year? It's, you know, that's interesting because, you know, for years, the pirates were huge on the down in the zone, sink the ball, put the ball on the ground philosophy um, with some success. And we saw it with Garrett Cole and it just, failed him. And then he went well, to it, Houston. It worked until it didn't. Right. You know, I think right. the, the, the way baseball works is a lot uh, to me, it's like a pendulum. And so then everyone was sinking the ball. Everyone was throwing two seamers and then hitters started launch angling loft, all the kind of things. And so then suddenly, unless you had a, just an absolutely nasty sinker, the ball that you were keeping down in the zone was getting hit into the seats. If you missed your spot, you know, just by a little tiny bit. So then that's when pitchers are now reacting with the high spin four seamers up in the zone. So, you know, I think it's going to have to wait and see. So the fact that Musgrove had success doing that is sort of counter to trends in baseball overall, but it did work with him. The other thing is, you know, 2020, it's a small sample size, you know, especially for him because he missed some time. There's not a lot of innings. So, I, you know, it, it may it could end up being sort of a statistical aberration uh, when, when all is said and done. Um, we'll have to see. He has the ability to do both of those things. He can miss bats up. He can sink the ball. Um, he's very good at adding and subtracting and manipulating the baseball. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, I don't know that I would look at 2020 for anybody, but in this case, Joe Musgrove and say, well, that's who he's going to be in 2021 for sure. You, you make a great point about constantly amending yourself as a baseball player, whether it's a hitter or a base uh, pitcher, you, the game is ever changing. You have to keep adapting and keep reinventing yourself. And he has the ability to do that. And that's going to be awesome. Uh, let's change gears a little bit and talk about the whole Padre team as a whole. Um, you know, you're, you're an outside, you're not, you're not in San Diego, you're not San Diego media. So you don't necessarily have a sense of what's going on. I'd love to hear your opinion of what Preller's created with this team and, and the fact that he hasn't really given up a lot of prospects, um, top prospects, we should say. And Padres are, are stacked in that department still. So give me your thoughts on that, if you will, Jonathan. You know, it's interesting. I think that last point you made, James, is exactly it because this isn't the first time that AJ Preller in San Diego yeah. has gone for it. I, mm -hmm. The first time around did not go well. Um, when he first came in and he kind of just like cleaned house and brought in as much, you know, major league talent as he could. And it was, I don't know that there was as much of a plan in place. Um, yeah. 
And I don't mean this in like a, a, in a disparaging way. I've known AJ for a very long time and I have the utmost respect for him, but it almost felt like he was a, like a fantasy baseball owner. Like it was like, it was, you know, it was, whoa, what is he doing? You know? Yeah. yeah. And this time around as uh, frenetic as it seems, um, and he definitely is, you know, now right up there with like Jerry DePoto in terms of when DePoto first got to Seattle and traded, you know, made all these trades. Um, there, there is much more of a plan in place in terms of what he wants to bring in and not completely destroying a very, very deep farm system. Yes. And, you know, so, so the difference is, you know, uh, that's one difference. And the other difference is that when he came in, the Padres had talent in their farm system, but it wasn't nearly as deep. You know, not only do the Padres have elite level guys in their system now, but you could do a, you know, a top 40, a top 50 of really interesting guys. Um, I know you've talked to Mike Rosenbaum and he does, you know, he helps do our, our top 30 list and he always has plenty of guys extra that I'm like, well, that guy is interesting. That's it's crazy. And even now he's had to add how many guys? And I'm like, Oh, that guy's interesting. So the fact that, you know, AJ has been able to make these trades without getting rid of those elite level guys at the top of the list and at the top of the system, um, you know, if you're a winning team, even if you have guys who are going to end up being really, really good, but they're haven't played in the United States yet or haven't played full season ball yet, it's it's a risk worth taking, I think. And I'm one who says, hold on to prospects. You know, so you look at this Musgrove trade, and I really think that this was a good trade for both the Pirates and the Padres. Yeah, you know, the Padres got the guy they wanted. The Pirates got, especially when you add the Lucchese to the Mets and and yeah. Andy Rodriguez back to the Pirates, they got some some really interesting depth. Now we won't see them in Pittsburgh for another four years, maybe mm-hmm. five, but they are really you know really intriguing, uh, mostly high upside guys. Uh, so I think you know it's one of those things that ten years from now you may look back and be like, wow, the Pirates did great with that trade, but no one's going to care if the Padres, you know, bring a World Series ring or home yeah. or two mm-hmm. because they filled out their their starting rotation with Joe Musgrove. Yeah. And exactly. some of the other moves that they made. Exactly. You know, and I I, I equate that 2015 revamping of the team uh, to just Preller kind of awakening the fan base, kind of shooting, you know, hey, we're here. We're going to spend money. Here's Matt Kemp. Here's Justin Upton. Here's Will Myers. Here's James Shields. The part, I mean, before that, San Diego wasn't used to spending like that. Wasn't used to bringing in any kind of superstars. I mean, prior to that, you had a, a, a Mike Piazza on his way out. You had a Greg Maddox on his way out. I mean, there was just no free agent signings. There was just no major trades for talent, and that kind of woke up the fan base, in my opinion, and kind of got them like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do some stuff. Stuff's gonna happen. Pay attention." Obviously, <laughs> training for for two le- or three left fielders in Matt Camp, Myers, and Upton wasn't the, the ideal situation. Right. Uh, it, it didn't produce wins, but it, it, it rejuvenated this fan base. And it, it, it really did. Fair. Cause there were, there were, there were Padre fans. There were San Diegans who just really didn't care about this team because, you know, they just weren't exciting to watch. They were just boring and just no farm system, no international talent, no Latino players. Right. He's really right. created something exciting with the Padres. So, you know what, that, that's, that's, that's fair enough. And that's a good point from someone who saw it day to day and, and, you know, and, and followed and, and cared about. It. And to his credit, even if that first go around didn't work, he didn't do it in such a way that he was mired in contracts 
for so long that he couldn't dig out of it. Right. Exactly. And rebuild. He kind of like, like all right, that didn't work. Let's flip the switch again. Let's rebuild. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, thank goodness. Fernando Tatis turned into Fernando Tatis. We can build around him and, uh, and go from there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly an exciting time in San Diego for yeah. baseball. And we, I'm moving. We, I'm coming. We're starved. <laughs> well, come on over. Housing price is ridiculous, but come on over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's probably a little warmer. <laughs> yeah. oh, <laughs> Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. We'll, we'll get you out of here. Maybe one more question each. Um, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on Mackenzie Gore and his 2020 season. The Padres were a little timid using him. There were rumors about his mechanics and stuff. Have you heard anything about Gore yourself? Uh, maybe from Jim Callis, his number one fan. I, you know, yeah. Uh, Jim, Jim is still all in, you know, I can speak for him. He's the president of the Mackenzie Gore fan club, but there are two ways you can take it. It was curious, right. That he, you know, for a guy who in a normal year, you would have thought would have worked his way up to the big leagues in 2020. He was right at that cusp and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I would say it's, <laughs> Very, very mildly concerning, except that it's not even a small sample size. It's a no sample size, right? So he clearly got out of whack and couldn't quite refine it in this bizarre alternative camp situation. I have every belief that had he been going out every fifth day in a normal, you know, in AAA, he would have figured it out. So like with a lot of these guys, I don't look too much into a really good performance in 2020. I don't, you know, I don't look too heavily into a guy who struggled when they first, you know, you know, the fact that Joe Adele didn't hit when he first got up to the angels. I don't, I don't care. I still believe in Joe Adele. You know, it wasn't a large enough and it was such a weird to come from alt camp and have to go right into a big league line. No. So I'm not too worried. Now, if he doesn't work his way up to the big leagues this year, unless there's just no room, right? I mean, it's a crowded rotation and let's say no one gets hurt and there isn't a need, but he's pitching well in AAA. That's a different story. But if he's struggling again, then you start to worry like, but he's still young enough where he could have another off year and still figure it out. So I'm not, I'm not overly worried. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, our top 100 is coming out in a week ish. And it's, we're not like knocking him down to, you know, 50th because the yeah, struggle, yeah. you know, I, I'm more concerned with a guy like Forrest Whitley who spent another year not getting called up while the Astros ran through anyone with a pulse who could pitch was in the big leagues, except for mm-hmm. Forrest Whitley. Right. You know, it is a little weird when you see like, well, Ryan Weathers has made it up to the big leagues, but not Mackenzie Gore. And it was a very specific thing, but by the same token, I'm now not looking at Ryan Weathers who I've always liked, but I'm not suddenly like he was the best left-handed pitching prospect in the game because of that small sample size. So I, yes. I, I tend not to worry too much about or put too much weight into what happened last year. Uh, You know, I'd like to see him get straightened out and I really do believe he will. Yeah. And the main topic between Potters fans is how do the Potters stack up with the Los Angeles Dodgers? And that's important because all ideal situations lead to the Potters not having to play the do or die wildcard game or whatever the playoff schedule could look like if, if MLB expands the playoffs. What do you make of the Padres versus Dodgers current dynamic? And how do you see that going forward? Well, without looking at them side by side and without being one who pays close enough attention 
to major league rosters, I got to think that they're in, I mean, they're in the same ballpark now. Um, I think, you know, that you're probably asking the wrong guy. Um, but you know, I think where their similarities are is they're now starting to get stacked at the big league level, still with younger guys with some talent in the farm system. One of the things the Dodgers have miraculously been able to do is win and keep their farm system going. Um, and you know, to get back to the earlier point, the fact that AJ Preller was able to hold on to that, that top group of prospects um, still gives them some really good pieces in their farm system to either bring up and or trade at the deadline, you know, depending on how things go, there's still some depth there. So they are now kind of treading in the same waters as, as the Dodgers, you know, they still have to go out and do it. Um, And and they haven't yet. Uh, They took a huge step last year. I think they'll take another step. Um, You know, could it be a scenario where 2021 is a year where, the Dodgers win the division and the Padres win 96 games and are the, and you know, are the top wild card. If it's like a normal wild card, sure. I could see that. Um, that puts them pretty much on equal footing, you know, when you're talking about a handful of games. And I think that's probably again, without really comparing the, the, you know, 25 or 26 man roster closely, I think they're in, in the same vicinity of each other. Yeah. Fair? Uh, it- yeah, that's okay. fair. And the Padres have definitely closed the ground. I mean, they yes. addressed the pitching issues that they had. Um, one acquisition, which is interesting, was the acquisition of Ha Song Kim, Korean infielder. On your way out, I'd love to hear your opinion of him. I know MLB doesn't, uh, MLB Pipeline doesn't recognize him as a prospect per se, but um, give me your opinion on on, on what, what Padre fans can expect to see from this young is he 25? I mean, he's still pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't count as a prospect for us. Where's he going to play? They're saying second base. Okay. Uh, with Cronenworth, so maybe here, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know a whole lot more about him than you guys do. Um, okay. I will say that um, I know people are very excited about him. The track record of players coming from Korea, offensive players is not, yeah. Great. You yeah. can't point to a guy and be like, well, that guy had success. Yeah. Um, you know, there've been, um, you know, I guess Eric Thames would be an American who played in Korea and then came back and like refound his power. So he came back and, you know, hit a bunch of homers, but like Korean born players, it's been a little, you know, people were very excited to hear when the, the Pirates got Jung Ho Gong offensive yes. minded second baseman with power. Right. That's right. <laughs> Never really worked here. You know, he right. had some glimpses. He got hurt a lot. I mean, it, you know, so there that you can't control, but there there's not a list of players that you can look at and be like, Oh, look, it worked for yeah. player X, Y, Z. You like yeah. you can with players that come from Japan, say where there are obvious examples of guys who have had different kinds of success. Um, yeah. So it, that doesn't mean he's not going to be good. Just, keep in mind that power numbers in the Korean league are inflated. So to expect them to come, especially to San Diego and be like a power guy, I, I would manage expectations on that front. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't expect that when he hit 30 home runs last year in, in Korea, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. That's what I've been yeah. telling everyone. They're like, Oh, this guy's yeah. really good. And I'm like, he's not going to hit the 30 bombs. So let's yeah. relax on that point. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, it's still interesting signing, still intriguing that the Padres are going out and and just turning over stones and looking for talent. And it's uh, it's it's fun for for San Diegans and and for Padre fans. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. We we really appreciate it. The assessment on Musgrove is awesome. Uh, we just can't wait to see him in a, in a Padre Brown uniform. That's for sure. Uh, it's going to be fun for you guys. I'm so happy for him uh, for being home. And, it, you know, it allowed uh, Mr. Bednar to come home also to Pittsburgh. So yes. he's a Pittsburgh yeah. guy. So that's a, yeah. a small win for us. It's sad to see Joe go, but uh, hopefully I'll, you know, if he pitches well enough, maybe I'll see him at the All-Star game. And Bednar is, is, is someone that the Pirates can plug in right away and use right away. I mean, he's, he's the a, one guy. Nice, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. got a, a a decent off-speed pitch that he uh, he calls a slider, I believe, or that's more like a split finger action. To yeah, him, but it, it's you know he's serviceable, and he, uh, yeah. at this point, that's what they need, right? Yeah, that is what they need. I was kind of hoping they would hold on to Lucchese just because they need someone to soak up innings, but yeah. to yeah. turn it around for a, a, a catcher with upside, there's no catching in the Pirate system, like really none. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I think that it was a smart decision, even if it would have made sense in the short term to keep Lucchese. Yeah, no, that was a that's a good old fashioned baseball trade, is what that yep. was. That's good stuff. Uh, Jonathan, again, thank you so much for your time. We we sincerely appreciate that. Uh, have a great day, and we look forward to talking to you soon, man. You know how to find me. All right, welcome back, folks, to episode one thirty three of the EVT podcast. Awesome conversation with Jonathan Mayo. So gracious to be able to to talk to him and and, and you know chew his ear a little bit about uh, about Joe Musgrove. What do you think about what he said about Musgrove? It's 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 nice to hear that kind of uh, talk about a major leaguer, right? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, most people listen to him talk about prospects, and that's where he's on MLB Network. But like you mentioned, Pittsburgh native, he's had a ton of conversations with him. He knows a lot about him, and he gives some pretty valuable insight. Uh, it's just been all about putting it all together. It was never the question of how; it was just when. And it seemed like he finally got closer to doing that in 2020, which makes it encouraging that, you know, hopefully the Potters can build on that for 2021. It was also funny, his comment about me calling him Mr. Mayo. Uh, <laughs> that, that was funny, but I kind of yeah. deserved it. Yeah, <laughs> I knew that was coming. He's, 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 he's pretty candid when, it's, when he talks about stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Joe Musgrove to this rotation, it's just, it's, pretty amazing when you look at this Padre rotation now when Chris Paddock is penciled in as your number five starter it's I mean what, what else can you say about fixing an issue that was a problem last year at the end of the year I, I think that AJ Preller addressed that yeah and it was certainly a problem like going into the playoffs because we obviously knew about the health issues but then we didn't realize that you know Chris Paddock wasn't going to perform in the postseason Zach Davies wasn't going to perform in the postseason and Preller really made it an idea to go out and get guys and strike batters out. And we saw from the Dodgers and from the Rays and even from the Braves a little bit, the pitchers that do well, the pitchers that strike guys out in the postseason. You can't rely on, you know, getting ground ball outs, getting fly ball outs because you're facing the best of the best each and every time at the plate. And the best way to do that is to get the strikeouts. And that's something Potter's pitchers just did horribly in the postseason. So now that they have Blake Snell, who we saw do it in the postseason, Hugh Darvish was a prolific strikeout pitcher last year. Then they also go out and get Musgrove, who had far and away the best strikeout year of his career. Obviously, it's still a young career, but for Musgrove, he struck out a ton of guys in his very short, uh, shortened season because, of course, the entire season was shortened. But for him, dealing with an injury in August, his season was even shorter. So 
hopefully that carries over. Potters are getting guys that strike guys out, and I love it. Yeah, no, it's it's an exciting time. I mean, Jonathan Mayo spoke about it, and the, and the fact that they were able to acquire these players without giving up their handful of top prospects. I mean, yes, Luis Patino hurts. Yes, Hudson Head hurts, but there's still, you know, you still have Gore, you still have uh, Morahone, you still have Weathers, you still have Camposano. I mean, it's pretty crazy the amount of talent that is still on this team. And and these guys are are ideally only a year, two years away from, from making the major league. So it, the door is wide open for the Padres to contend. And it, it's just amazing. I mean, another acquisition is the, the acquisition of Hassan Kim, uh, a wild card, if you will, someone who could be the next superstar or could fall on his face, but someone who's brings a sense of excitement, a sense of, uh, of just not knowing what, what they can bring. And, and that's, that's exciting to baseball fans. That's exciting to Padre fans, right, Dominic? Absolutely. And I mean, we had Dan Samborski on before Christmas, also known as before the Padres went out and acquired Blake Snell, Yu Darvish, Hassan Kim, and now Joe Musgrove. And before that happened, he had, or I don't want to see he did, but his Zips projections had the Padres right with the Dodgers. And the Padres have gotten much better since then. The Dodgers, they did have Blake Trinan. You know, we can't ignore that. They have gotten a little bit better since then. But the Padres are right there with the Dodgers. Uh, anyone that says otherwise is wrong. And it's just going to come down to who performs the best uh, in the upcoming year, who exceeds their expectations the most, and who can really stay healthy. Uh, because the Padres, I truly believe this. The Padres, if they were healthy and had to Nelson Lamette and Mike Clevenger, uh, you know, Mike Clevenger for more than an inning, were the biggest competition to the Dodgers in the postseason last year uh, in that five game series. Of course, those two guys weren't healthy and the Padres got ran over because the Padres starting pitching only got one inning in game one. Zach Davies allowed four runs in game two. And then Murray Hone was only able to go two innings and he still allowed a couple of runs. So, it just it just blew up for the Padres. Obviously, we're not a great uh, look for the Padres, but Padres got there and they got even better this offseason. So it's going to be an awesome season. It's going to be a long season, but uh, it's going to be long and enjoyable instead of long and painful, which is what the Friar Faithful are used to. Yeah, and you know we're really only a month and a couple of days away from the first spring training game, so it's not really as far as you think. Um, Hassan Kim is a hot topic. Uh, so we thought we'd bring in a KBO reporter. So we got Ji Ho Yu to come in and uh, speak to us about Mr. Kim and exactly what kind of player he is. So we'll be right back with that interview. All right, folks, welcome back. Uh, we are pleased to have Mr. Ji Ho Yu here who covers KBO for in English uh, for Yonhop News Agency. Uh, he's a University of Toronto graduate. He knows Mr. Hassan Kim very well. He's seen him play numerous amount of times. What's going on, Jiho? How are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. For sure, man. We we're we're anxious to to get your impression of uh, Mr. Kim and and how well he's going to fit in the Padres uniform. Yeah, you know, um, he's a, he's a great player. Obviously, um, it's this great great guy, good, great teammate to have around. I think for a lot of the guys in the KBO. Um, so, you know, he's what, 25 years old, one of the, I I guess one of the youngest guys from the KBO to make the jump to MLB. So, you know, expectations from 
fan base in the KB are pretty high. You know, yeah. they're hoping that this guy would you know, have success and really for Korean players to make the jump from the KBO to MLB and have success, there would be a great validation for fans here to know that, hey, one of the best in the KBO would actually be also one of the good players in, in MLB. You know, they would mean a lot, I think, to a lot of the Korean uh, fans of KBO. For sure. It's exciting, I'm sure, in Korea. And, and it's exciting for the Padres as well to be able to kind of be a national team and and bring players from Japan and Korea and the Dominican and other nations together to play uh, a game that they all love, right? I mean, we all love baseball, and that's what it's about. Yeah, how about that? Eh? You mentioned Japan with uh, your Darvish uh, yes. you know, being traded to San Diego. I, I think it was during the same week, right? It was Blake Snell and your Darvish and Kim. Yep. So they were kind of, you know, boom, boom, boom. And yeah, I was looking at that uh, whole transaction, the series of transactions, and how I thought, you know, Kim is worth, uh, you know, he's going to, this is a pretty good situation for him because you look at Blake Snell and Darvish, obviously, uh, you know, more pedigrees, if you will, um, proven major league talent, whereas Kim is kind of walking into a situation where, you know, he might have been a bit of a forgotten figure, maybe. Oh, you know, Padres got Blake Snell and, Exactly. Uh, they traded for Darvish, and they, oh, by the way, they signed this guy named Kim. Uh, yeah. We don't know much about him, so and you know, I I think the pressure is not going to be there as much as where if you know he, if it had been one guy signed by some team where you yeah. know with with the Padres, he's already got a lot of the star players surrounding him in the infield. I look at yeah. Machado, Tatis Jr., Hosmer in the infield. So I, I think the you know, he's not going to have as, as much pressure on his shoulders to go out there and to try to justify his contract uh, yeah. because he's already got uh, other big names to kind of, you know, back him up. For sure. You, you know, the, there's going to be a media circus covering him and stuff. But uh, in the same regard, like you say, they're going to be covering Darvish and it's it's going to be easier for him to kind of just be comfortable in, in his own shoes and, and get used to life in the States because, you know, people take 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 it for granted when a player comes over here that they're going to be comfortable and be able to perform. And a lot of it is, is about being in a new place and, and, and having that comfort level and, and being able to produce and, and play the game that they all loved and played, but at a, at a different country is, is, is pretty phenomenal. And it's, it's a pretty difficult thing to do. Oh yeah, I agree. I think, you know, baseball is baseball, right? I mean, their yes. styles are different, but ultimately baseball is baseball, but yeah, living in a different, Different country, uh, playing, you know, playing in a different league, having to speak a, a new language. Yes, the adjustment is the same for the American or foreign players coming over to the KBO to play. I see it all the time. Uh, you know, guys that are that were successful in the majors, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be successful successful in the KBO. And in a lot of those cases, uh, you know, they're having difficulties with their life off the field. Uh, yes. Same for guys going overseas to play in MLB. Uh, you know, baseball talent is obviously there, uh, but it takes, I think, a special type of person to make that transition off the field, you know, to kind of immerse himself to the culture, uh, to the new clubhouse, uh, you know, despite the language barrier that's going to come early in, in his career. So, yeah, um, I think Kim, you know, the kind of guy that he is, uh, kind of quiet, unassuming, uh, good teammate, uh, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, I mean, language barrier aside, obviously he's going to be a translator by him, by his side. Uh, I think he's going to be okay. And I think, uh, you know, he's excited to join that particular group of players that are young and exciting. They're, you know, 
obviously when you watch the Padres play, it seems like they're having fun out there too. So I, yeah, I think exactly. it's, I think it's going to fit in just fine. For sure. You know, we, we talked briefly before we start recording uh, about the uh, translation that he did about his World Series comment. I, I'd love right. for you to uh, <laughs> give the fans a little more information about that, kind of really educate them upon who he really is as a player and what he really meant in, in his comments, if you will. Yeah, sure. So I was on the Zoom call as well. It was about, you know, 40, 50 other reporters from San Diego and from Korea with uh, Kim with and also with AJ Preller. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to what the translator was saying at first, because obviously, you know, I speak Korean. So I was only listening to Kim's Korean answers yes. and kind of trans- transcribing their interview. And also I was recording the, uh, the session and, and I was, you know, I was done with my story with Kim. Uh, obviously, he, he said he wanted to, he's going to try to win the Rookie of the Year. And he said he joined the Padres because he felt this is a team that had a chance to win the World Series at some point. But, uh, and then later on, I saw articles coming out of San Diego with the headlines, something like, uh, you know, Kim declares this is Padres here to win the World Series. Um, so I was like, wait a minute, he didn't say that. I went back yeah. to my uh, Korean transcription of uh, my interview and he didn't actually say this year. And I went back to my recording and listened to the English translation of his comments and it turns out the translator added stuff that Kim actually didn't say, which is oh. we're going to win the World Series this year. <laughs> and, you know, I tweeted out stuff, you know, I clarified it with some of the San Diego beat writers on Twitter. Um, so that was that. And in terms of why it was surprising to me, uh, you know, Kim is a very, like I said earlier, kind of quiet, unassuming uh, kind of player. He chooses words very carefully in interviews. He doesn't uh-huh. say anything controversial in, in, in interviews. I mean, he's not the most in, interesting interview, to be honest. And I mean, you know, that's not a bad thing, right? And I guess nobody cares outside the media uh, whether a person is interested to talk to. Uh, so, you know, for, for someone like that to go out there and declare, you know, my new team is going to win the World Series in 2021, this is so out of character. And, uh, I guess it was kind of interesting that he was portrayed as someone who is so confident, so brash and, yeah. uh, in, in San Diego media right from the get-go. So there was a bit of, a, I guess, um, uh, getting something lost in translation or somebody adding stuff on the, on the translation. Yeah, I'm sure it was an honest mistake by the translator. And we sure hope that what the translator... Uh, translated as hopefully ends up coming to be correct that the Padres do end up winning the 2021 World Series. But uh, glad that you could clarify that for us. I have a question about Kim, and there is some question marks about what the second base spot could look like for the 2021 season. And we know that Kim will likely be in contention for that spot, but Jake Frodenworth is coming off a very strong rookie year, and he might end up winning that spot over Kim. Does Kim seem like the type of player who would be fine with that, you know, coming off the bench and serving in a smaller role to start and building up from the bottom up? Or is that not the type of player that he is? No, I think the sense I got from Preller uh, in the Zoom session is that they're going to give him every opportunity to play on a regular basis. Uh, it could be second base, it could be somewhere in the in outfield maybe even. But I, I think they gave him all the money they did. Uh, to make him a regular major league player. Uh, you know, they're not paying him, you know, four or five million dollars a year to have him on the bench to start the season. So I think they're gonna obviously they're not guaranteeing him anything, but they're gonna give him every opportunity to win the job 
whether it's second base or somewhere in the outfield in the corner. Um, and he also said, Preller also said during the session that, you know, people who play in up the middle, uh, shortstop and second base, they can go play anywhere. Uh, so uh, I think they're willing to experiment with that. Uh, he has been a shortstop for the most of his KBL career. He did play second base way back in his rookie year in 2014. Uh, I think he played like 15 defensive innings in second base, and that was it. So second base is new to him also. Uh, so he's going to have to get used to it during spring training. Uh, but he has also played a little bit of a third. Uh, so if, if he doesn't win the job in second uh, over Jake Cronenworth, uh, you know, I think they're going to still go out there and find him a spot so that he could play on a regular basis. And also he's going to be spelling Machado and Tatis at third and short when they need some rest because obviously they went from 60-game schedule to 162, hopefully. Uh, so that's a big jump, right, from year to year. Uh, yeah. The guys are going to get inevitably hurt or they're going to need some rest down the road. And he's going to be, Kimmy's going to be the guy who would just play all over the field. And, uh, uh, you know, he wouldn't have signed with San Diego unless he was willing to play different positions. You know, he had offers from other teams. He had offers from, uh, he had five or six-year offers from other teams. Uh, five or six clubs, and he chose to sign with the Padres, knowing the infield was pretty crowded, and his natural position was the way to take an end. You know, Tatis is not going anywhere, so uh, you know, I guess he had that in mind when he signed the deal. Um, and uh, is he the type of guy who would do that? Yeah, I do think he is. Follow up question on the outfield part: He has had no outfield experience in the KBO. From what you have seen, do you think he is capable of playing in the outfield? I know you said that, you know, he plays up the middle of the infield and a lot of times those guys are capable, but from what you've seen, do you think he is capable? You know, honestly, I have no idea because <laughs> he's not even a uh, sort of, he's not your typical corner outfielder build, uh, if you will. Mm. I mean, even physically. So, mm. yeah. uh, I mean, he's got a strong arm. He's very athletic. Uh, okay. and plus the fact that he's only 25 years old. I mean, he can learn a new position, I think, on a, on a dime, right? <laughs> so just yeah. give him a few rash in spring training and, we'll, and just, you know, let him go and let him do his things. And uh, But, you know, I, I think there's a big, obviously a big question mark whether he could be a serviceable major league level corner outfielder. That's a big question mark. So ideally, I think they would keep him in the infield. Uh, but there's also a question about, you know, where does Cronenworth go? Uh my understanding is he played a little bit of outfield in minorities, or I guess in college. Yes. Uh, but you know that's also a question mark for him too. So, yeah. but you know they're gonna have to figure things out uh, come spring training. Uh, there's it's always a nice problem to have, I think, to have a surplus of you know capable athletic fielders. And so you know I think a lot of teams would would love to have the problem. Uh, yeah, I mean. At, at the major league level, uh, I think any player who is willing to make a sacrifice and, and learn a new position, and, and at his age and the athleticism that you mentioned, it's a it's a no brainer that uh, he should be able to transition if they if they choose to go that route. Uh, let, let's talk about his swing and his the beautiful leg kick that he has uh, and, and the bat flips and stuff. And, and <laughs> just a little more on that. It, it, is has his swing changed much since he initially started in the KBO, or has it developed any uh, over over the years? Yeah, it's pretty wild, huh? Um, a lot of the KBO hitters, most of the KBO hitters that have gone over, uh, they have lag kicks, and some of them have had to reduce their lag kick to catch up to higher velocity fastballs in majors. Uh, yes. Not everybody succeeded. Uh, uh, I think one name that sticks out for me. Is actually the guy who played shortstop before came on the same KBO team 
uh, Chung Ho Kang, formerly of the Pirates. Okay. Um, yeah, 15 homers as a rookie, 21 homers as a second-year player in just over 100 games. He showed a lot of power. And one of the big transition transitions that he made was uh, he cut down his, uh, on his leg kick. And he had 40 homers in his last year in the KBO and 15 in the first year in the, ma- in the majors. And that was considered a big success. Um, and he had more raw power than Kim. Okay. And uh, he, he even he struggled to catch up to Major League Baseball. So, uh, yeah, Kim's got a pretty big swing, I think, for his size. Uh, I don't think he's even six foot. He's barely he's barely six foot, I think. And so he's going to have to cut down on, on some of the, um, on the wild swings. And he struggled against the higher velocity in the okay. KBO. Yeah. But okay. on, the, on the other hand, he didn't see a lot of high-velocity high uh, basketball in the KBO. There's very small samples. Okay. Not a lot of guys throw average even 93, 93. Okay. Uh, I think the average basketball in KBO was 88-ish, and uh, MLB is something like 92, 93. So, yeah, he's going to have a lot of work to do. Uh, but he, I, I think one thing that is kind of sustainable going from one league to another, he cut down his strikeout rates and improved his work rates. So this past year... For the first time, he had more walks than strikeouts in his career. So I yeah, think I that's kind of translatable. Yeah. So, you know, batting eye, uh, you know, he's going to have the same eye, I think. Uh, it's just that the, the balls are going to be a little faster. So uh, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the key thing is for him to be able to catch up to, you know, 92, 93, 94 out of the starting pitchers consistently. And then if, when you get to the back end of the bullpen, he's going to be seeing 98, 99. So or even 100. So, yeah, velocity is, a, is always a concern for Korean hitters going over to MLB. Yeah, and that was certainly something that Kong, he he fixed up a little bit, and then, of course, his career kind of fell apart in major leagues. But yeah. uh, Padre fans all believe that Kim can certainly play like Kong, maybe not the power, even though a lot of fans believe that his 30 home runs in this 2020 KBO season are encouraging. What do you think the stats uh, don't show that you have seen in Kim? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah. You mean like in terms of on-field production or just anything yeah. on field or? Yeah, just like on the field production uh, at the yeah. plate or even in the field. I'm trying to think. I guess it was interesting. Interesting. James mentioned uh, bat flips earlier. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, you know, KBO guys, it just comes to them naturally. It's just a part of the game over here. Uh, it's not front upon as much, uh, even at all, uh, to the degree that it is in MLB. I mean, you know, guys can over here in the KBO, they could go for, you know, all three of basketball, hit a grand slam in an eight run game and not get thrown at. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> So I guess you know the fact that he's a quiet guy, but on on the field when he's uh, when he's on, uh, he can show a little bit of emotion at times. Um, okay. So I guess you know in a Korean culture, maybe being one of the younger guys coming up, maybe he's had to kind of uh, hold himself back a little bit. Maybe there's the side in him where uh, he can show a little more emotion on the field, and he's had to hold it back because. You know, in this culture in Korea, kind of Asian thing, where you know, when you're a rookie, when you're a young player, you don't, you know, you don't show a lot of emotions. You kind of keep your head down and just, you know, go about your business the quiet way. Uh, maybe there's a side of him that I don't know that maybe he's going to be able to show with San Diego, being surrounded by players like Tatis and Machado. Uh, you know, so I guess that's one thing that I'm, really, I'm maybe kind of curious about. Maybe looking forward to seeing him more in in majors. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting that you say he he kind of a quiet worker that kind of goes about his business and takes care of business. And I think that will fit well on a Padre team that has a lot of characters already, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of clubhouse leaders that, that you know. And, and and being that he's from a foreign country, it's difficult to come in and kind of just try to take charge and stuff. So I think that mentality and doing his work and putting it in is gonna gonna go bode well for him. And we're we're excited to see him for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about his speed. He stole 23 bases this past year in the KBO. Uh, would you, would you, would you put his speed in a, in a above average category or did he just get good jumps or was that just a product of the, uh, the lineup and, and the, and the system that he played in? Um, he's got some speed, but uh-huh. I think also that, you know, the KB, I mean, I don't want to take away any credit from him, but the KBO catchers don't throw as hard, as well or as hard as obviously MLB catchers. Yeah, yeah. He stole, I think, first 20 bases. He stole first 20 without getting caught. Okay. Uh, so that's the record uh, from the from the start of a season. Uh, most consecutive bases stolen without getting caught. That's a record. So uh, he's fast. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, uh, not a lot of KBO catchers would qualify as you know, strong thrower from behind the plate. So I think, I guess, obviously he took advantage of that. He gets good jumps and he picks his spots on, you know, you don't want your everyday shortstop who is 30 homers. You don't want someone like that getting hurt on a base pass or trying to steal second, uh, jamming his fingers and all that. So he wears that kind of the mitten style protective glove, right? When he's on base and trying to, you know, protect his hands and all that. Um, so I'm sure he's going to be doing the same thing in MLB, but yeah, he does have speed. Um, you know, we don't keep track of, uh, we don't have the advanced uh, numbers on like sprint speed or percentile and that kind of stuff over in the KBO. But I'm sure he'd be up there in the KBO if they kept it, if they kept track of that. Awesome. Well, it's it's good to hear uh, positive reviews on him with arm strength and speed and, and athleticism and the plate discipline are, are, are also awesome. Uh, you know, it's a little alarming when you hear about the the bat speed and, and the lack of velocity, but I think that that's something that he can adjust with. Uh, if you see 92, 93 consistently, I think it's just a matter of cutting down a swing and, and concentrating on making a little more contact, which uh, doesn't seem to be an issue with him in the past. He's, he's usually puts the ball in play, right? I mean, generally. Yeah. I mean, the KBO guys usually put the balls in play and, uh, a lot of the former MLB pitchers that come over here, that's one of the adjustments they have to make. The KBO guys put a lot of balls in play or they just follow off a lot of pitches. So yeah. you can't really, if you can't put him away with two strikes and you're going to struggle in the KBO, it doesn't matter what your pedigrees is. Pedigrees are from the MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Kim Hazong is very, uh, quite a typical KBO here in that sense. Uh, fouls off a lot of pitchers, uh, puts the ball in play. Um, Obviously, it's a different story when you're facing higher velocity pitchers, but pitches. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know the fact that he's young enough, the fact that he's he's got the athleticism. Uh, yes. I think yeah. he's going to be able to uh, make the adjustments. Yeah. No, there's a lot of positives to his game that uh, a lot of fans are just intrigued to see how well that translates. And you know, hopefully, Korea gets their big superstar, kind of like Ichiro came over from Japan and opened the door for for players to come over and play uh, on a daily basis in the major leagues. I mean, this is a a world sport, and, and uh, ideally, that's what major leagues baseball's goal is to get everyone involved and and let athletes just come out and perform. And you know, thank you so much for your time, Jiho. You. Uh, we really appreciate it, man. Again, you covered KBO in English for Yonhop News Agency. Fantastic stuff. We will be in contact again, man. We'd we'd love to hear some more assessments as the season goes on and as he starts to to face major league pitching. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me today. I hope he does well and 
I hope he doesn't make me look so bad at saying all these uh, positive things on podcasts. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> hey, it is. It's going to be major league pitching he's facing, and it's going to be a challenge for him. But you know, with his age and and, and the pedigree, it's 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 exciting to see uh, the possibilities, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know it's, it's a big deal for Korean fans over here too. Uh, they have some history with San Diego, with you know Channel Park, have a pitch there before. Um, so people people are familiar with uh, Padres and the whole NL West. So yeah, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be some fun times over here in Korea too. For sure. Well, thank you again so much for your time, uh, and we will be in contact again shortly. Sure. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. That was our conversation with Ji Ho Yu. Uh, KBO reporter who reports in English for Yonhap News Agency. He did a great job. He provided a lot of insight that we really haven't received yeah. about yeah. Ha Sung Kim. The note about uh, fastball velocity is a bit concerning, but hopefully the Potters hitting staff and coaching staff is going to be able to work with him on that. But that was an awesome interview, and I hope that uh, the Potters fans listening at home got some insight on Ha Sung Kim. Yeah, I don't know how they couldn't. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, was just not available, knowing about arm strength and, and speed and and getting an honest assessment of him. I, I I enjoyed the fact that he was honest when he said that he had trouble with higher velocity pitchers. And it is concerning when, you know, Jiho's telling us that 88 and 89 is a typical fastball speed there, and he's going to come to the major leagues where guys are, are topping out at 10 miles per hour faster than that. So the leg kick's going to have to be cut down from especially behind in the, in the, in the count, uh, we'll just have to wait and see what kind of amendments he makes to his swing and how he rectifies some timing issues and stuff. Uh, I was a little concerned about uh, him mentioning the long swing and the velocity issues, but again, at 25, there's still plenty of time for him to, to improve. Absolutely. I still believe that he's going to be a great player for the Padres for us. And, he brought up a good point about the the championship quote. Uh, it was funny, but I'm glad that he was able to you know fully clarify for that because I believe he was the person that jumped in and said that's not what he said, like on yeah. Twitter, right? Yeah, he did. He right away. That's what kind of brought me to his attention because I he made that clarification right away that that's not what he said, and it's you know you don't want this you don't want him to get this reputation of being a brash overconfident player when he's not and and it's good to kind of know the type of person he is it sounds like he wants to be a quiet leader someone who goes about and does his work and that's that's perfectly fine it's just you want to know what kind of person they are first before you start making any kind of assessment on them absolutely do you still think that he could win the starting job of Virginia Cronenworth or do you think that's still going to be Cronenworth's job come spring training yeah, that's that's really up in the air. I mean, Cronenworth is is an older rookie, you know, older rookie last year. It, it's it's tough. It's tough. We'll have to wait and see. It's it's going to be about production. I think that the best thing about this for the Padres is that they have flexibility now. They have, you know, Cronenworth doesn't have to win a second base job. So and so doesn't have to win the the left field job. They have flexibility. They can move around players if they want. All the last Los Angeles Dodgers with their lineup that ever changes and and you know just because you're not in the lineup in uh, the beginning of the game doesn't mean that you're not going to be in the lineup at the last third of the game when the game's on the line. And that type of mentality really is what Major League Baseball has evolved into. It's not just about old school baseball where you had eight guys that started every day and your bench guys played once a week and that was it and if they're lucky they would get a pinch hit because pitchers would go the whole game and they wouldn't even need pinch hitters so the mentality of the game's changed 
And it's it's awesome that the Padres have embraced that. They have so much flexibility now in their team. There's a lot of players who can play all over the diamond, and and that's only going to help them in the in the win and loss column. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to check out as uh, as spring training comes around and all that stuff happens. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to go to stuff being out here in Arizona. I was looking forward to going to some more things, and then uh, it got shut down. So hopefully, yeah. we don't get that this year because I know hopefully. I'll be there. I'll be there if I have to be masked up and whatnot. From what I read, they're going to have uh, spring training access to fans, but it's going to be only at the major stadium. You're not going to have backfield access uh, like we had in seasons past, which is really going to suck. You're not going to have that inter- interaction face-to-face with these players. There's going to be, a, a, I think, a 12, 10 or 12-foot buffer between yourself and the players, and it's it's just the reality of the world we live in now. Uh, which is pretty sad because spring training is a, the type of place where you could rub elbows with Fernando Tatis and and have him hold your kid and give him a kiss while you take a picture. And that's just not going to happen, uh, at least not in the immediate future. Let, let's talk about the six-man rotation and the fact that A.J. Preller kind of alluded to that possibly happening for the Padres in 2021. Uh, it makes sense given that 22 out of their first 23 days, they have games. So a six-man rotation is conceivable. Obviously, the fifth man is going to be used heavily. So you can make an argument that you'd want the pitchers to start out slowly to begin the season and possibly pitch uh, every six days. Give me your thoughts on that, uh, Dominic, and whether or not someone like a U Darvish is going to be able to pitch every six days. I mean, this is we're talking about a guy who's comes with a pedigree. He's just he's probably going to want to pitch every five days regardless of even five games. I mean, that's how the old ace mentality was every five days. I want the ball and you rework, you work the, the rotation around me. So uh, Snell has a little bit of that too in him. So we'll have to wait and see. We'll, we'll, we'll give me your thoughts on the six man rotation. Well, what's going to have to happen is Jace Tingler and Larry Rothschild are going to have to sit down with the guys and say, Hey, listen, you know, you guys are going to have an increase in, in your, in your work line, you know, from what you guys did last year. and it's going to be a team effort for all of you guys to, to combat that as a team, because we don't just want to throw all you guys out as if there's no difference between 2020 and 2021, because that's not going to go well, especially considering uh, the injury history of some of the guys that are in the San Diego Padres rotation. So I think you need to sit down with them and say, Hey, listen, if you guys have to have six days or five days or four days in between a start, just because that's the way the scheduling works out. And that's what we think is best for your help to help bring a championship back to San Diego. That's what they're going to have to do because I mean, you look at it, you Darvish doesn't have a world series ring. He, he missed out on one. He pitched game seven. Blake Snell does not have a world series ring. He pitched in the world series, but he didn't get it. Joe Musgrove. I mean, he does, but he was a huge part of that rotation. I'm sure he would really like to be uh, more in the forefront of winning that ring for the San Diego Padres. Chris Paddock, has been a Padre doesn't have a ring. Denelson Lamette, Ben Padre doesn't have the ring along with the other prospects. So if they really want to bring a ring back to San Diego, they're going to have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, Hey, listen, if the coaching staff thinks this is best for our arms and to keep us ready for the postseason, so that we can bring a ring back to San Diego for the San Diego Padres, then that's what they might have to do. And if I were a pitcher, I mean, I have said multiple times on this podcast, I pitched in high school. Uh, I, I, I didn't pitch for a month at one point in the season, it sucked, but that's what the team needed me to do. And then the last month of the season, I was pitching almost every third game, multiple innings a game out of the bullpen. And 
part of that was because the team needed me rested up for the latter half of the season. And that's what I ended up doing. So it's all about mentality. It's all about being selfless, sort of selfish and about being good teammates. And if that's what the rotation does, this rotation has a chance to be one of the best in all baseball, if not the best. You know, Dominic, you're a little too young to have an Al Bundy moment there. I, I know you don't know the Al Bundy reference, but uh, I don't. <laughs> it's a married with children reference, old TV show. And the husband used to just talk about his glory days in high school and how he used to cut. He ran four touchdowns for Polk High School or something like that. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to tease you a little bit there. Um, you're, you're, you're right, though. You have to be prepared. You have to be have that mentality of anything is 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 going to happen. Anything can happen. It's about the greater good and winning the World Series title. And and uh, speaking of which, there's a couple of free agent players out there that have links to San Diego that have yet to sign anywhere. Uh, and that's Trevor Rosenthal and Jerickson Profar. Hey guys, Dominic Stern here. James and I recorded this podcast Thursday afternoon. And I've been editing it Thursday night and Friday morning. And of course, I'm sure most of you are aware of this by now. Jerickson Profar signed a three-year, $21 million contract Friday morning. So of course, James and I did not know that this had happened while we were recording. Figured I'd jump in and say that Jeff Passan did report this contract. And that John Heyman also reported that Jerickson Profar's contract includes two opt-outs in his deal. So if he would like to... He can become a free agent after the 2021 or 2022 season. So I guess what James and I are going to say about Jerickson Profar here is just what our thoughts would be, you know, about potentially signing him. But I wanted to jump in before we give our thoughts about Profar, that Profar is a member of the San Diego Padres now. Uh, back to the podcast. Both players seem like a fantastic fit for this team. I think that if the Padres were able to acquire or to sign both, that they're Winter season would be about about wrap. Give me your thoughts on both men and, and the chances of the Padres signing them. Well, I saw a couple of days ago that it seemed like the Padres had a ton of interest in bringing back Jerks and Profar, kind of serving as that utility guy coming off the bench and being able to play multiple positions, second base and outfield as well. So I, I think that that is certainly probably going to happen. I think he's going to come back for around $5 million. I said earlier on previous podcasts that I didn't think it, it was going to happen because I thought Profar was going to get more money elsewhere, but it seems like the Padres want to meet him around 5 to $6 million. And I think that makes sense for both sides. So that's obviously awesome. But I saw the other day in Dennis Lynn's live Q&A on the athletic website that he said he doesn't think Rosenthal is going to return because given the amount of money that uh, relievers have been getting on the free agent market this off season, he thinks that Rosenthal is going to go make more money elsewhere on like a two years, $20 million deal. He doesn't think the Padres are going to offer him. Now, Dennis isn't always right, but I trust his knowledge within the Padres more than mine. So I think that he could certainly be right about that. And that would obviously be very, be very unfortunate because the bullpen has been the one thing that's really been left behind this offseason. Because I mean, we obviously bolt Potters bolstered the starting rotation very clearly. They also bolstered the lineup a bit with Hassan Kim and Victor Caratini as the backup catcher. But the bullpen's just been kind of left there, especially with the departure of Kirby Yates, who didn't really contribute all that much in 2020. And 
with Trevor Rosenthal uh, leaving for free agency. So the Potters definitely should consider adding something out there. Uh, depends on whether or not Rosenthal is the move or not for the Padres. Yeah, I think I think cost does have a lot to do with it. Because if they were to sign Rosenthal and Profar, that would take their payroll up to probably their max. And they wouldn't be allowed to, or they wouldn't have the flexibility to dumpster dive, as I, as I like to say, uh, around February and March and pick up players that are released, players that are still looking for jobs that are going to come at a bargain rate. It's interesting. Rosenthal at that type of money is... I don't know. You know, Kirby Yates just signed. He just signed with the Blue Jays. What did, what did Yates end up getting? Four and a half, I think. Was that what it was? Four and a half? Five and a half. Five and a half plus incentives. That seems about right, given his injury risk uh, and the age. Um, I really don't know what the Padres can do. They they do have flexibility, which is an awesome thing. They have the flexibility to move some of their young starting pitchers into the bullpen if they have to. Uh, a name that has come up in my thoughts uh again this is way too young way too early to give up on him and move him into this role but i think chris paddock would be an awesome reliever Aww. i know i can see i can see your face because yeah, 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 we're zooming in like, um but you know I, again this is way too early to even discuss this he's got, obviously going to be given years to, to to iron out his issues at the starting rotation but when I think of Paddock, I think of a Trevor Hoffman type, fastball changeup, and just mentality and, and, and dominate. And he has the persona to do that. I, I again, the Padres are not going to do this this year. I'm not trying to make spread rumors, but it's awesome that they have the flexibility to be able to do something like that if they want to. If they want to have Morone pitch seventh and eighth inning in, in high leverage situations and see what he has, they can do that. So. Give me your thoughts. Wipe away the tears from your no, eyes. No, no. I mean, it is my job to come on here and provide what I think is best for the San Diego Padres. And if that's the case, as long as Chris Paddock's on the Padres, I will be happy. Uh, in case anyone is unaware, uh, did not follow me during the Padres season and hasn't listened to previous podcasts, Chris Paddock's my favorite Padre. That's pretty unpopular favorite Padre. If I'm <laughs> going to be completely honest, it's normally Fernando Tatis Jr., but uh, the, the type of pitcher I was back when I played in high school is basically Chris Paddock, except throwing 20 miles an hour slower than him. So I, I personally really like Chris Paddock, but at the same time, I think he would be awesome in a reliever role. And if he doesn't work out as a starter, you know, you don't want to just keep th- throwing him out there and him allowing three, four or five runs. That's, that's no fun for anyone. Uh, not the Padres, not Chris Paddock and just not anyone, the fans either. And if, if he's going to have a role in this team of the bullpen, that's perfectly fine, but I, I still think he has the potential to provide quality innings for the San Diego Padres. I mean, yeah. I, I mentioned this was my my selling point on why I still haven't given up on Chris Paddock as a starter last year. There were times where his starts were terrible. I mean, no one's not going to deny that, but he also had multiple starts in September last year that were fantastic. He had six innings, I think only one run in Colorado, and then he had six or seven innings against the Seattle Mariners, who, of course weren't a great team, but he shut them out too. So he still has it in him. We'll see what pitches he worked on this offseason because we all know the talk about the curveball, how it's frankly not that good. The cutter, it's not great. It was better than the curveball, but a lot of people think that's what messed up his fastball because he wasn't uh, as accurate with the fastball 
and he wasn't getting as much rise on the fastball as he was his rookie year because the the way you throw the cutter, you're not getting behind it as much. You're kind of getting a little bit on the sides, though. It's got some side movement, yeah. and a lot of people think that was the case. So it's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back. Obviously, I'm not going to give up, but at the same time, I'd be a fool to not say, hey, there's a chance that he's not starting that much longer for the San Diego Padres. And at the end of the day, uh, I want to see the Padres win more than I want to see Chris Paddock be successful. I obviously want both, but uh, if the Padres' best chance of winning is with him in the bullpen and, say, Mackenzie Gore, Ryan Weathers, or Adriana Marejon in the, in the starting rotation, then by all means, do it. Yeah, it's a fluid situation. We'll just have to wait and see. I mean, a lot of this was kind of half-hearted jokingly, but, you know, you never know. You really never know in the game of baseball. And things change rather quickly. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, One thing we do know is that the 2021 season is going to be – it's already, it's highly anticipated. It's just, Padre fans just cannot wait. And as mentioned before, we are just a little over a week, uh, a little under a week and a month from the first game uh, against the Mariners on February 27th. So it's going to be fun. Uh, Dominic, I'm excited. Uh Great show today, uh, kind of a dual guest type of thing. Uh, Jonathan Mayo talking some Musgrove uh, action and Mr. Jiho Yu uh, giving us some stuff on Hassan Kim. Good stuff. We'll be back next week uh, for sure. Have a couple guests in the work, a couple of special surprises, hopefully. Um, but uh, we're going to try to be a little more regimented. I know we keep saying that, but we're really going to try to do that this time. Dominic, go ahead and take us out of here because uh, I think we're about good. Uh, anything else that I forgot uh, news-wise? No, I mean there was there were some rumors circulating around uh, Padres Twitter trying to get Nelson Cruz to be recruited. Uh, what 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 do you think about that? I, I would if it, if there was a DH, I would love that. But I mean, I just I don't see the DH happening at this point. It just seems to be very little traction in that regard. For it, it's been getting more traction because oh, uh, okay. yeah, there's there's they're talking the players' union and uh, the owners, so that could happen. They, they really it's need in the, to make a decision. I mean, yeah. They, they do. Teams need to. There's half the league needs to make a, a, a decision on their roster. I mean, this is the American League teams that could care less, but for these National League teams, they they these are important decisions that need to be made uh, in regards to their roster and, and where they're allocating money. So they need to really get on this. Uh, but Nelson Cruz in the middle of this lineup. I mean, you, are you kidding me? That would be awesome. Uh, and, and from what I hear, he's a great person as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, minus the steroids, but. Oh, well. is, there, is there steroid allegations with him? Yeah. Oh, he got suspended a while back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Well, yeah. I don't care. He, he, it's like the same thing with Manny Machado. I mean, he had some stuff in the past, but now that he's been with the Padres, he's been perfectly clean. So who cares? Yeah. Well, if he's is. clean with the Padres, I don't care. Yeah, it's all about production, right? And to have that kind of production in the middle. Of the Although I would love to see a left-handed hitter in the middle of this lineup. I I, I know I, I'm old school in that way. I like to have a lineup staggered. I just I see a glaring need for a left-handed hitter in the middle of this lineup. That and, and Hosmer is is only one. Cronenworth uh, is Cronenworth. Yeah, Caratini's a switch hitter. Okay, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't write home to mom about Caratini uh, providing any substantial offense to this team because I, sure. I, I go on the lineup to be quite frankly. And, and that's another right-handed hitters. I, I, I mean, Grissom, Grissom. 
Chris, you, there's three. There's three left-handed hitters. I don't know. Like, like I say, I'm old school. I, I, I love seeing left-handed right left-handed lineups. But then again, with the new rules, there's no, there's no pitcher that comes in to face left-handed pitchers in one batter, and so it's the game is ever changing. You just you can't be an old man about this game. You have to be open-minded and and always willing to adjust. Yep. So I, I'm going to wrap this up now. Unless you got anything else to add? No, I'm good. Let's take us out of here. No. So thank you all for tuning into this episode of the East Village Times Podcast podcast. Our first guest, you all should be familiar with him, Jonathan Mayo of MLB Network, MLB.com and MLBpipeline.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jonathan Mayo. That's pretty simple. And then our second guest, Jiho Yu of Yonhap News, KBO reporter in English. You can find him on Twitter at Jiho. That's J-E-E-H-O underscore one on Twitter. And you can find James and I on Twitter. You can find me at DMstern19. I'm oh Jiho's actually my 600 follower. So that's cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you can follow me to find my content. It's more than just Padre stuff. It's also baseball and other football stuff. And then follow James uh, at EVT underscore J Clark for all of our stuff at East Village Times. Doing a lot of Qualcomm stuff. Uh, the Murph, the uh, the Q. Uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff about that. As I'm sure everyone knows, the stadium's getting torn down as we speak. That's sad in San Diego sports history. So make sure to follow James to see all that stuff that we're posting. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. We will come to you guys next week with another podcast. So be on the lookouts for that. Uh, until then, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week.